Hello, Mighty Warrior. Can I ask you a question? Do you love your wife? <laughs> of course you do. But be honest, do you sometimes struggle living with her? <laughs> you know what I mean. You're loving each other one moment and then you're arguing the next. Probably it was something that she said or you did. And deep down inside, don't you wish your marriage could be easier? Well, it can be, and we want to help you. Backed by popular demand, Real Men Connect is hosting the second Marriage Secrets for Men Boot Camp on Saturday, November the 10th from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you don't want to miss it. You're going to learn simple, proven, practical ways to get along better with your wife, make your marriage easier, avoid unnecessary conflicts and arguments, and even have more sex, <laughs> and we're guaranteeing the results. But here's the catch. You can't tell your wife what you learned. You can only apply what you learn. This marriage boot camp is for men only. So get ready to get down, dirty, and real as we help you make your marriage work better. So make sure you register for this event before November the 10th or before we sell out. Now, I say sell out because seating is limited. So to sign up and reserve your spot and take full advantage of the early registration discount, go to MarriageSecretsForMen.com. That's MarriageSecretsForMen.com. I know that no marriage is easy, but yours can be easier, and we can help you guaranteed. So go to MarriageSecretsForMen.com and sign up today. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. And today we have with us Eddie Caparucci, who is a licensed professional counselor with a private practice in Marietta, Georgia, right down the road, not too far from us outside of Atlanta. And Eddie specializes in treating sexual and pornography addictions. Eddie is also the author of the new Christian book, Removing the Shame Label, and he serves as an elder in his church and is passionate about helping people strengthen their relationship with God. Now, guys, I invited Eddie to be on the show to talk to us about his new book, Removing the Shame, and how we as men can start stepping out of the shadows of shame, guilt, and feelings of unworthiness. So please help me in welcoming my guest, Eddie Caparucci, to the Real Men Connect podcast. Thanks for joining us, Eddie. Joe, it's really, I'm very excited about being here. Very excited. And so I'm excited you. too, man. Um, Eddie, um, you wouldn't have known this, but I just came back from a, a men's retreat um, that I was speaking there for the entire weekend. Had to do four sh sessions with um, over 100 men who had come from all over the country. Um, to deal with, um, come together as brothers, to be strengthened as brothers so they can go back and lead that place as stronger husbands, fathers, um, leaders, mentors, coaches, you name it, disciples. And I got to tell you, a recurring theme um, was shame. And, and we're going to dive in deep into this because um, you're an expert on this and you wrote a book about it. And so I can't wait to talk about it because it's such timely and it's so fresh for me just leaving that place. But Eddie, before we get started, I always ask our guests when they come on the show to share with us their favorite Bible verse and what gives them inspiration and word of God in this season in their life. So what is your life verse, brother? My life verse is uh, Galatians 6. Two. And what that says is carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And again, that was the life verse I picked up when I decided to go into counseling because I am taking on people's burdens, but it is in a way that God is allowing me to do where it doesn't wind up overwhelming me or taxing me. 
You know, and that that's a great um, a great starting point for us, Eddie, because um, you said that because I, I, no one has ever shared that particular Bible verse as their um, um, life verse. We're now over two hundred eighty something episodes in, uh, so I, I like that. And basically, what I, when I told you about that retreat, it was about sharing each other's burdens that we are blood brothers by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you said that that kind of inspired you. So let's go into your story, man. Let's talk a little bit of how you got into um, being a counselor um, and focus on this particular topic right um well basically um let me just take let me step back further um i was raised a christian grew uh grew up um with the catholic faith um but i never really knew what it meant to you know have a relationship with jesus christ in fact that didn't happen until almost 16 years ago when we moved down here from new jersey my family and I and my wife was saying, hey, you know what, would you be open to checking out a different church? You have, I think, you know, you need to see more in the way of growth, because for me, it was go to church on Sunday, throw your money in the collection pot and then go live the way the world lives. And I said, sure, we could we could do that. And we did. I sat in um, in a church and it was the first time I ever heard that it's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I remember turning to my wife and saying to her, is he nuts? Because I don't understand this. How in the world can I? It's difficult enough to have a relationship with people who I can see and talk to. How in the world do you do this? And that pastor, um, Bob Bullock, a wonderful friend of mine, a great mentor, he came over my house the next day and spent four hours with me asking me about, you know, talking to me about, you know, what Christianity was really about. And uh, one of the questions he had, he goes, so tell me about your Bible reading. And I said, Bible reading? I go, that's your job. And and you talk to me. And he goes, no, I don't think that's the way it worked. And that that began a journey for me where I picked up the Bible for the first time and started to read it. And I read it four times over a period of two years. And so therefore walked away with all this great um, cognitive knowledge about, you know, God and Jesus Christ, all of that. But at that time, I was also working in the advertising and marketing field. I was um, a senior executive and I worked in the pharmaceutical uh, industry. And, you know, I did really well. You know, I made a lot of money, had a lot of great perks. It was all wonderful. But I was also leading and living a very sinful life. And coming down here at that time, you know, by that time, I put a lot of my sin behind me because I had had a new wife and I told her what I had done. I'd gone through counseling. But, you know, even as I started to learn more about God and, and start to get that head knowledge, my heart hadn't changed. And it was over time and going to a retreat of my own, similar to what you talked about, uh, that you've been to this past weekend, that it really started to internalize in me. What does it really mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And with that, I thought, oh, wow, this is this. I felt so much freer. But then he did a really funny thing. He said, you know what, Eddie, we're done. We're done with corporate America. Look, we don't want to do this anymore. I've been I've been 25 years in corporate America. I loved what I did. I was very good at it. And I really didn't like this new direction that he gave me. So I fought him for about two years. My wife had a wonderful time standing on the sideline watching, laughing. And she saw me sitting here arguing with him, trying to bargain with him and all of that. And of course, as you knew, and I knew in my heart too, that ultimately he was going to win. And he did. And at that point, that's when I decided, okay, you know what, I need to leave, you know, the corporate world. And I went back to school, got a second master's, just one in counseling, um, did all my skate work that I needed to do for licensing. And then um, became certified in treatment of sexual addiction and pornography addiction. And I've been doing that now for about nine years. And I I will tell you something. I am never more at peace than when I'm sitting in that chair every day 
because I get to see God at work all the time. Amen. And, you know, um, there's so much that you, you just mentioned, even in just telling about a little bit about your journey. And, Eddie, I know I, I want to spend most of the show talking about shame because it's such a, a stronghold in the lives of men. But um, I, but I love hearing the stories of men personally. And so as you were talking, you sharing that I'm writing notes here. And I want you know, you said you were raised as a Christian. Um, but in, which is typical for a lot of men out there who are listening who but we they didn't teach us about having a relationship with Christ. And, and to a lot of us, that was foreign. But I want to um, ask a different question about not about your more your childhood. But you said you had just gotten married. You and Terry had gotten married. Right. I want to know when you were going along this journey of, OK, I'm, I'm going to go to church and live like the world anyway. Um, everything's cool. I don't understand this relationship. Because you're still you still married to her. How did what was her walk like with Christ and how does she view you as a spiritual leader in your home? Terry uh, was raised as a Southern Baptist. And I mean, she would just stood head and shoulders over me when it came to understanding, you know, about, you know, the gospel and what it really means to live your life as a Christian and that's why when she was seeing the church that we were in up in New Jersey, she just felt that, you know what, it's not giving me enough. It's not feeding me the way it should. And it wasn't feeding her either. And, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm almost really embarrassed to admit, I mean, when we finally came down here, I mean, I didn't even know what a, I didn't know what a youth group was. I didn't know what a small group was. You know, I thought Bible study was for, you know, the Jesus thumpers and, you know, I just... I couldn't even tell you what an elder was in a church. I knew nothing. I was clueless to all of it. And along the way, you know, she has been, you know, the biggest supporter I could ever have. I mean, you think about it, you know, husband tells his wife, hey, guess what? We're going to move away from this corporate salary and we're going to go. I'm going to go into counseling and I have no idea what this is going to be financially. I think this could actually really kill us. And she was like, you know what? You have to follow his will and you have to follow his way. And I was so moved by that. And it uh, even today, if I sit in that right now and talk about it, because and then now today she actually practices with me. She uh, went back to school herself and did that. So our practice is a, um, a joint practice together. And that you know, very exciting and rewarding for us, too. Man, how cool is that to have her um, beside you on that? I saw that on your website that um, she's a practicing counselor as well. And, Eddie, again, I tell you, we're going to get into shame, but I always love the story of men. I mean, I could spend all day talking to men about their stories. <laughs> and I want to know, like, how long have you guys been married now? You and Terry have been together. We've been together for 22 years. We've been married for 20. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary in um, July. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. That's awesome. Because what I wanted to ask is that for you to now focus on what you're specializing in sexual addiction and pornography addiction, um, did you have a personal story attached to that? Did you have a battle and did you take Terry through that <laughs> through that battle or was it just something that you had uh, an interest in and wanted to find out and help men? free from get free from no unfortunately i did um i did have my own story with all of this um i was more of a womanizer um actually started when i was about 16 um one having one woman in my life was never enough always had to have the backup plan and that carried through into two marriages that i had before i met terry which you know i ruined because of my you know infidelity um pornography wasn't that much of a struggle, but it was somewhat. Um, by the time I met Terry, I'd done some of my own counseling and realized that I had an attachment disorder. And so therefore I had one foot in, one foot out. And I shared everything with her. I was very you know, transparent to let her know because I needed to be able to help be held accountable for, you know, if I started to you know, do something that probably would take me down the wrong path again. And she was very good with that. And fortunately, really didn't suffer too much. Pornography at the beginning of our relationship did creep back in. Uh, but then, you know, as she looked at it and said, look, you know what? I'm sorry. We just can't be living this way. This is not it. And so therefore worked on that and took care of that issue. Um, it's it's kind of crazy to be able to say that, 
you know, in a way that for 22 years I've been faithful to one woman. And I don't mean to like brag about it because again, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But it's almost, it's really happened like an achievement based on what my history was from 16 till, you know, 38. Uh, but yeah, no, she, she saw some of it in the beginning when it came to pornography. But as far as infidelity, I've been completely faithful to her. But it was, a, I mean, a big struggle in my life. I hurt way too many women. And that's part of what this book is here. And it, it, and it shares some of my story in that. You know, and Eddie, so what was the, the impetus behind you saying, now I want to work with these type of men in that? Because counseling can be broad and you can work with a lot of different areas, but you decide to specialize in, in sexual and porn addiction. What made you pick this particular just because you went through it or it was something else that put you towards it? No, that wasn't the reason. Um, once again, this is God at work. Uh, when I um, got my license, I was more of a generalist and I saw people with anxiety and depression and, you know, the standard stuff. And then all of a sudden, one and two and three and a dozen and two dozen men start coming into my door about, you know, with this sexual addiction or pornography addiction issue. And plus their wives who are trying to deal with the um, betrayal and how to manage that. And as I saw this and I was saying, oh, my gosh, I've, I've lived this life. I relate to all of this. I checked into, OK, how can I better serve them? I want to make sure that I'm giving them all the tools they need to be able to go back. And again, my, my counseling was 20, you know, not 20, about 12 years before that. And I'd like I don't even know if I have all the skills. So that's why I went back and I got two certifications um, in the treatment of sexual addiction and pornography addiction. So, no, it wasn't me looking to do that. Once again, it was God bringing them into my office. And now I just work exclusively with uh, men who are dealing with the disorder. And I see about anywhere between 30 to 35 people a week. That is, rem wow, that's remarkable. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You know, which is that's why we I want you on the show, because it's not so much so the pornography and the sexual addiction. We know that that's just uh, a symptom of a deeper issue. And we know that shame is at probably at the root of that issue. And that's what we're going to talk about. But right before I start asking you questions about the shame, though, you've brought it up and I've brought it up a couple of times. And um it, guys out there who know my story, they know that because of my porn addiction and sexual addiction, that it ruined a 16 year marriage um, for me. And so God had called me to this because I know and I can relate to the men who are going um, dealing with this. But I was just curious. I wanted to ask you, since you specialize in um, sexual and porn addiction, I was curious. Could you explain the difference to us, the difference between the two? Well, a porn addiction is a sexual addiction. Um, what we do, we kind of break it out in order just to say, okay, you know what? It, it hasn't escalated yet. In many cases, though, a man who gets involved with pornography, it will escalate. And it may, I mean, it may escalate to the idea of doing um, chatting online or doing virtual pornography. And then to others, then it winds up with we're looking at hookup apps meeting people, going to massage parlors. So in, in many, many cases, we'll see that pornography is just a stepping stone to others. But there is no real difference between the two. See, that, and that's the reason why I ask, because I know some men think, well, you know, it's not just porn. It's just not that big of a deal. Not realizing that it's like the, quote, gateway drug into deeper and darker things, because that's how it was, at least for me. Um, I didn't I thought porn was just innocent. I didn't know that it's just it sends you can send you down a rabbit hole <laughs> in a sense. So I'm glad you 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 uh, made that distinction for us, Eddie. And, and now let's get into your book and let's talk about about this topic of shame and to make sure the men are on the same page as they, they um, listen to this and we're all looking through the same lens and have the same framework. I want you to describe in your words what shame really is. It's really very simple. And, and let me start with guilt first, because that's what people mix these two up. Guilt 
Guilt is the fact that I did something bad. I did something wrong. Shame is I am bad. I am wrong. And that is the most basic, simple definition of what shame is. Right. And and I will repeat that again. It's one thing to know that you feel bad for doing something wrong, but it's a whole different thing when you think I'm wrong. Uh, something's wrong with me. I'm a bad person. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. And like I said, from that um, being around men for at the retreats, it's amazing um, how much shame we we drag around with us. And in your book, you mention about the, the something called the Christian shame cycle. Could you um, kind of explain that to us? Sure, absolutely. Um, where it begins when we look at how do we get involved with destructive behaviors. What it begins with is our experiencing of emotional or mental anguish. Uh, and, and some of the emotional anguish that we're dealing with could actually even be subconscious. We don't know what it what it's about, but it comes across maybe as uh, presents itself as like being jittery and nervous or, you know, we're just bored or whatever it may be. And when we experience this, these emotions, we don't want to. We don't want to experience them. So therefore, what we do, we're going to look for an outlet to escape to. As I say, you know, most of the men, the men who come in here, they are runners and they're running away from their feeling. They don't want to feel. Actually, they don't know how to feel. So therefore, you gain you engage in the sexual and the, and the different sinful behaviors that we have. And then after you're done, there's shame that's involved in it. And once that shame starts to hit, as it brings up the feelings of, again, as you mentioned, worthlessness, there's a lot of self-loathing. Uh, you know, how could I be this disgusting of a person? And that takes us to, well, that means God has to be very disappointed in me. God, God can't love someone as wretched as I am. You know, God, God looks at me and says, oh, what a mess that I created. And then what that does is that then reinforces the shame. So now what to do with the shame is now actually almost encircling you. And then we go back to what happens. Okay, we're experiencing more emotional distress. And therefore, now what you have is what I call the Christian shame cycle. And so let me summarize and you correct me, Eddie, um, because what you said is a mouthful that it starts with emotional anguish or some type of mental distress, which leads to shame of us feeling bad about ourselves, which then it goes into disappointment saying, when God must be disappointed in me. He cannot possibly love me, which reinforces the shame again. that goes right back into the emotional, mental anguish and distress. Is that correct? Did I summarize that yeah. correctly? The, the only part that was missed there, you did a great job was the fact of the actual engaging in the sinful behavior. Oh, that's right. Where would that? So, yeah, that's right. That's right. So then because that's what that's our acting out. Is that correct? That's correct. That's Mm -hmm. acting out. That's acting out. Now, I want to know you mentioned about the the mental anguish. Uh, What role does anger play in shame? Well, you know, anger is one of those things that we use to hide what we truly feel. Anger is a secondary emotion. Um, and again, it's one of those things that everyone can identify. I can tell you if I'm angry. I can tell you if I'm happy. I can tell you if I'm sad. Everyone can do that. But what happens is we can't drill down to determine what do I really feel? So I'm angry. Okay. I'm angry right now, but what is really going on? Well, maybe it's the fact that I feel disappointed in someone. Or, or maybe I felt humiliated by something. And so therefore, anger just serves as a shield to keep us from identifying what we're really feeling. And so it, when, when we find ourselves getting angry, we have to realize that that's not even the real issue, <laughs> that there's that's something correct. even below that. Um, and now I'm. You know, I I want you to help me as I work with men and mentor and coach men. Um, I don't do counseling, but I do coach and disciple men. And one of the ways I try to get beyond the anger, because I see that and I realize that's not the real issue. And I want you to help me become a better coach. Eddie, I always ask the question, what are you really afraid of? 
Ah. You know, I look because I keep thinking it's rooted somewhere in some type of fear. And so, it, you know, I, I, and a lot of times that usually stumps them and they stop like, wow, Joe, I know I said, tell me, what are you really afraid of happening? What are you afraid happened here? What are you afraid is going to happen? Um, is there other telltale signs to help us get below anger? Yeah, I mean, that, that is a great approach that you take to, you know, uh, saying that what I also ask men to try to do is to just do self-reflection and just take a moment to slow everything down. Slow down for a moment. Okay, I know I know you're feeling angry, but just sit, which is very difficult for many men <laughs> <Yeah>. to do, <laughs> and, and try to become in tune with your body and your mind. And when we start to slow down, now anger starts to lose its strength. It starts to dissipate. And then through that, usually we're able to go and drill down. Now, a lot of times I have to give somebody like a word list of different emotions because, again, they wouldn't they don't even know what deep emotions are. And then they could look at that word list and say, oh, yes, that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling belittled. I'm feeling disrespected. That's what it is. I feel disrespected. And then to your point, to your point, like, okay, so, you know, what's the fear of that, of being disrespected? Well, you know, the fact is that if I'm if I'm disrespected, then no one takes me seriously. And once again, and once again, I feel worthless. Ah, now we drill down even deeper into what's going on. If I say it's the root, go and pull out the root. Right. Now, Eddie, when you, you mentioned um, about um, just asking, doing that self-reflection and looking internally, and you say you sometimes you have to give them a, a, a list because you're right. As men, sometimes we can't even articulate what we're feeling because we've never been taught how to express our feelings. Now, I'm just curious, this emotional list that you give them, how is there just is there basic emotions that, that you give them to choose from? And say, hey, what is this? What best describes you in this? Right. The basic ones, again, go back to the secondary emotions. So, for example, a lot of times we'll, we'll use what's called an emotional wheel. And in fact, if, if your listeners wanted to go to Google and type in emotional wheel or, you know, emotional chart, they'll find a lot of different things that are there. So, for example, let's stick with anger for a moment. You have anger and then out of anger on the wheel, if you move outward, you're going to find all these other words that try to determine why it is that you're angry or even sad. For example, if I'm sad, but I drill out, what am I really feeling at this moment? Again, I may be feeling disappointed. Okay. Well, see, that's better as opposed to, okay, you're sad, you're pouting. All right. You know, the wife's like, you know, come on, will you get over it? But then you sit there instead, you say, well, you know, I was very disappointed about that. Ooh, okay. See, when, when we really share what we really feel, what we do is we put people back on their heels because now you're, you're, you're talking at a deeper level. When you talk about using anger and sadness, you're, you're on a 10,000 foot level. People don't really know what's going on in your mind and your heart. And so in those emotions, then, like you said, are secondary emotions. They're not really the primary emotion. Okay, I got you. Now, Eddie, I hear men say this. I'm sure you've heard them say it a lot, too, because usually when we're trying to comfort men or comfort anyone who's hurting, we want to usually remind them of God's love and tell them how much Jesus loves them. And Jesus paid the price on the cross for us. And God loves us so much that he gave his son for us. And cognitively, they get that. And they receive that and they say, man, yeah, I know God loves me. And you're like, well, then what's the problem? And we realize now from working around so many men that a lot of them and I've heard actually heard men say it that I know God loves me, but I don't really think he likes me. Um, why do you think it's so difficult for us as Christian men to feel God's love and acceptance? Well, if, if we look back at a lot of different studies that have been done, um, you're going to find there's a strong correlation between the attachment we have with our earthly father and the attachment we have with our heavenly father. Men who grew up in a home where they did have a father who was 
one not just there, not just present, but engaging, one who, and I don't mean just did stuff, what he really did was sit, talk to you, he built you up, he gave you praise, he was there to comfort you when you were struggling with something. Studies have shown that those individuals can really tap into and feel more of God's love than others. So that part of it, and therefore for men who can start to, and we can start at any time, start to develop healthy relationships with other men, that is what helps them ultimately to wind up feeling to, to learn how to feel God's love. You know, now, Eddie, that makes perfect sense to me. And, you know, and I offer a lot of um, assistance to men in doing just that. And but I'm going to get into the seat of that man who's telling me that, okay, Ed, I hear what you're saying, man. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, But how do I go about building those relationships with other men when I've been I don't I have a hard time trusting them? I have a hard time because of my trauma, my past. I've been hurt so much. By men, not just men, even women, but especially men, including my father. What do I do? How do I I want to so bad, but I am so scared and I'm so afraid of being hurt, of of being taken advantage of being hurt again. So, Eddie, what do you how do you advise them on what they can do when they're in that kind of state of mind? A step at a time. We're going to take baby steps in doing this. You know, we're going to look at maybe a Bible, a men's Bible study to start there. I mean, you don't need to burden and or to share everything in, you know, that you have immediately. What you need to do is to learn trust. And the way we learn trust is we put a little of ourselves out there and we see what is the return that we get. Therefore, we can determine if a person is safe or not safe. And that's where you want to start. You want to start with something very simple. Support groups, like, for example, the men that I deal with, again, you know, 95% of them have a very low emotional IQ. And, and they don't relate to not just women, but other men. And I really insist that they get into support group. And so that's what they do. And they're in a support group for anywhere from a year to sometimes some of them are in it for five, six years. But they, they, they develop brotherhoods and they realize and they say, oh, my gosh, I can really share with people. I don't have to be afraid. You're just like me. You struggle just the way I do. So therefore, there, there are ways of doing it. But you just need because, again, people are fearful because of what they didn't get or what they got that they shouldn't have gotten when they were younger. And so therefore we just have to take it slow and we just have to, sometimes you have to hold on to that fear. You hold on to it and you move forward despite the fact that you have it. No, and Eddie, as you're saying this, I I can't even take notes fast enough because <laughs> there's so many different directions I want to go into. Um, but and 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 I want to dive a little bit, still some more with the shame. But I want now I'm going to get a little bit selfish from working with so many men myself because I agree with you that you know because I was in a recovery group for seven years, seven years, and typically you're not in it that long. But I enjoyed being in the group because I felt. I love the fact of knowing that other men in the same struggle, in the same boat with me, and we're helping each other through this together. Just like you just said, I found strength in that group. Um, even though I was weak in my flesh, I found strength in the group. But from a, a more of a selfish standpoint of now being the, the quote, disciple maker, mentor, coach. Um, and you said take it slow. And I get that. You know, you expect men to take it slow step by step. How what is I want to talk about that guy who is in that group. He's in a support group. He's in a recovery group. He's in a, a Bible study. He's in a brotherhood. And just like you said, Eddie, he's, you know, OK, I, I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant. I'm a little bit nervous. So I'm going to try to get some trust. And let's say that guy is in that group for three, four years and he still is not being vulnerable, but he keeps coming and he keeps coming back. What is that person's what what is really keeping that person from? And they've now been proven that, hey, this is a safe place. What prevents a guy like that? Is it the shame that keeps him from after even building those relationships, still not sharing? What What is the cause of that? 
there, there are many different elements that there, but at the heart of that is trauma. There's some sort of trauma that he suffered from um, growing up, and it didn't have to be from parents. It could be from siblings. It could be from peers. It could be someone else in a, a authority, you know, um, and he's still what he's holding on to is his fear, his fear that if I do, because at one point he put something out there. And it didn't go well. And so therefore, what he did was withdraw, say, I'll never do that again. And even if he did it as a young kid, that was done to protect himself. Now, he may not even remember that, but it still sits there in a subconscious way. So therefore, he doesn't even really he can't identify. So, you know, those are the folks who really need to be able to go and sit with a professional to be able to go back and look at, okay, what happened that hardwired me to the point that my heart is so hardened that I can't let anyone in? Because again, that person is missing out on so much in life by not being able to have those authentic and real relationships. See, they don't realize that. They think, you know what, this is good, I'm okay. Because that's what that inner child is telling them. Yeah, you know what? No, don't talk to Bob about that. That's not he that he's not going to understand. He's going to think that we're, you know, strange or weird or whatever. No, no, no. Even though you want to, the inner child kind of sh- is shutting that person down. Right. And so what I'm hearing from you, Eddie, is that that's also if if we're that guy who's in that particular position, that should be like a warning light on our dashboard, emotional dashboard, telling us that, well, we need to seek some professional help for this. Um, Because it's yeah, because it's a natural thing to go move slow in a, a relationship building process. But when you're still withholding and still withdrawing and still isolating and still scared and fearful of people who, you know, love you then maybe that's the light coming on on the dashboard. So, you know what? Maybe I need to find, get some professional help on this to see what what is really driving this. So I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. And now, I I'll want say this, Joe. Go right I'll ahead. This, you know what? That fear never fully dissipates. OK, I mean, you can shrink it down a lot, but it'll always be there. So that's why somebody who may open up and say, oh, this is good. But then, you know what? A couple weeks later, it's like. I don't know if I really want to go to the group tonight. I'm really not feeling like it. And and part of that, the fear is starting to kick in again. Like I got to go and be vulnerable and be open. And, and what they have to do is, again, hold on to that fear, hold on to that discomfort and continue to move forward. And the more and more you do that, the the fear shrinks dramatically. So therefore, you can hold it. And continue to move forward, but it never fully dissipates. So, and, and even though it never really uh, is gone, we can reduce um, the impact of it. And I, what I'm hearing you saying also is that feel the fear, but do it afraid anyway. Yes, because if yeah, you I mean, if you feel it and do it afraid, you're going to get stronger, and that fear is going to shrink, even if it doesn't go away completely. That's exactly right. You need to condense learning how to manage it, learning how to navigate around the fear and not allow it to control us. We instead control our fear. All right. And I have a few more questions I want to get into. I may not be beginning all of them, but I wanted to touch on something that you said. In, 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 and I know if if the guys, they probably could have missed that. Go back and listen to what, what Eddie said earlier is when you mention about our relationship with our earthly fathers. And um, we typically hear about the father who was abusive, the father who uh, was uh, emotionally detached and all this other stuff. But you mentioned about the father, even if it's, it was a good father, um, but he did not provide the emotional outlet for that boy. And, and I wrote down here of that is one thing to show our son's strength. But what based on what you just told me, Eddie, and it jumped out at me, is that, yes, it's one thing to show your son's strength and being there for him. But you must also provide him emotional support. If you could speak just quickly back to that again, because I don't think we should rush past that. How important is us to us as fathers to provide emotional support for our sons? And what does that look like? It is critical to do so. And, you know, I, I in my practice, um, I also see men who have same sex attraction. 
and who have even sometimes acted out on it. They are not homosexual. They are not bisexual. What they're looking for is they're looking for validation from another man. But unfortunately, they're looking for it based on their sexual performance with that man. Yeah, when we when we as men, as fathers, do not provide our children, especially our sons, with a, the ability to, and you want to know what does it look like? It looks like this. One, I can identify what I truly feel. We teach them. Okay, the kid's angry. He's having a little bit of a hissy fit. All right, so slow down, son. Teach him how to slow down, how to soothe themselves. Okay, what what what's really going on here? What are you really feeling? Getting them to learn how to identify their real emotions. Two, how to express those emotions and not be fearful of it. Not to be afraid they're going to be shot down or they're going to be laughed at. But no, I can share that emotion out there. But three, and most importantly also, is that when other people are sharing their emotions with you, that you don't take them on and start to worry about or feel, oh, how's that making me feel emotionally? Instead, you can validate that other person. That is what we as men should be doing with our kids to be able to teach them, especially our boys, to be emotionally connected. Because it, Boy, that's Eddie, at the heart, oh that's my at goodness. The heart of a lot of things. Eddie, wow, you man, if that is good stuff, man. That is really, really good stuff. Because you know, as men, we want to do things. And we don't know what to do a lot of times. And we're afraid to admit we don't know what to do. And even with those steps that you told us, those that requires training and some skill. But we can only get that in community. We can only get that through um, support groups where we can learn from other men how to do each one of those steps that you just outlined. But, man, I'm glad I asked you that question because I'd expect to hear those answers. <laughs> but th- yeah. that's really good, man. That is he really tells, good stuff. You know what? Culture, culture has changed over the last 40 years, okay? I mean, prior to that, men were all almost always taught, do not be emotional, do not share your emotion. But then what we started to see as we become, you know, more enlightened, and especially from a spiritual standpoint, that we we are cheating our wives out of true intimacy. We're treating we're cheating ourselves out of it and we're cheating our children out of it. Because, again, we're more of just doers. We just, all right, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do that. Okay, aren't you happy? Why aren't you, you know, I'm, I'm showing you I love you. I brought home a paycheck. You know, I cleaned the uh, the gutters. What else do you want from me? And it's like, how about some time? How about, I mean, real time where you sit and talk about your dreams, your fears, your worries, things like that. You know, I talk to men about that, and they're like, you want me to share my fears with someone like oh man i don't know i don't know like yeah and i understand i was like that too i mean i remember i was 12 and my stepfather um he got really angry with me about something and it caused me to you know start to cry and he sat there and goes oh go ahead be a little sissy sit there and cry i remember i ran down in the basement and i said you know what nobody no one will ever make me cry again. And I did not cry for another over 30 years, including when my mother died. I just kept those tears because I, I taught myself, no, I'm not going to feel. I'm not going to feel that. You know, you, you made this statement about when God tells you, you know what I mean? Share my feelings. And let's look at it from a, even a practical common sense standpoint. Okay, what's if you don't share your feelings, what are you going to do with them? Either suppress them, you know, and you're going to hide them, which is going to cause you eternal pain and misery anyway. And so we look at it as if that is a viable option not to share. But you got let's look at the flip side. What is the opposite of not sharing it, bearing it yourself? Yeah, and well, you said, and what did you say that the verse your your Bible verse was the life's inspiration share each other's burdens, right? You know, share each other's burdens. You know, yeah. What happens if you do not? If you're going to keep those internalized, you know what they're doing? They're draining you. 
They're draining you. And you're being drained mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And when we get drained, bad things bad happen. Bad things happen. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Bad things happen. And therefore, we need to be able to replenish ourselves. And part of the way of replenishing is to be able to share what we are thinking and feeling. Because, again, you get drained, you're going to be looking to run somewhere to act out in order to get a high, a rush, because I want to get replenished. But it's not a healthy way of being replenished. Yeah, we choose to medicate, isolate, or I say sometimes overcompensate of of trying to minimize that pain. And, you know, and I understand what it is to struggle for us, especially sharing our weaknesses with women. But man, when you share it in the company of men who who quote get you and understand you, um, they say I've heard of saying that they say the two two words that is probably most soothing in ministry is me too. Um, that when we can relate, we hear women always talking about with the Me Too movement, but I would love to see a Me Too movement among men because, man, if men could share each other's burdens, like you said, and learn to express that as suppress in healthy ways, we all get stronger as men because we realize we don't have to do life by ourselves. You know, and Eddie, I tell you, I, I'm not going to get to all the questions that I, I have for you today. And I, I want to really get to the man up questions because I love when we have counselors on the on the show to to share their expertise. But I got if I have I'm asking myself, if I, I've only had one more question to ask Eddie since I'm running out of time. What would it be? And, and I can't wait to ask you this question. And it's for that man out there who like you mentioned the cycle about he's I've disappointed God. And now God doesn't like me. And we we constantly remind him, but God forgives you. God forgives you. He's throwing the seed of forgetfulness. He doesn't want you bringing it back up again. Here's my question, Eddie. I want you to address that man who's struggling forgiving himself. Man, I can believe God forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. I am so, I'm just so sinful. I'm so bad. How can anybody possibly love me after what I've done or what I keep doing? And I know I probably will do. Eddie, speak to that man. And what would you offer him um, to guys who come into your office asking, it's telling you, I can't forgive myself. What can I do? I would, I would tell him that. While maybe perhaps right now you cannot forgive yourself, God already has. That God accepts you and loves you unconditionally, despite whatever you've done. And therefore, he says, come before me, stand in front of me and show me your shame. Not so I can ridicule you about it, but so that I can help remove it from you. Because if my child... I don't want you feeling that. Yeah, you know what? The other thing is that he understands. He understands our brokenness. He understands we are not the creatures he created because of the broken world, because of the people who got their hands on us and did harm, to, even maybe not intentionally, but did harm that caused us to be hardwired in a way that we don't function the way, you know, we should as Christians. He understands that there is within the broken world many things that occur to us, different events that have hardened our heart or have dampened our spirit. He understands all of that. And you know what? But yet he still says, you know what? One day, one day, all of your pain will be gone. But I would love that day to be now. Yeah. (laughs) I would love that day to be now. And therefore, turn to me, you know, Deuteronomy, you know, 31.8, for the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We need to start to understand and believe the fact that our God is for us. He is for us. And he is not here to judge our hearts. He's here to change our hearts. And that's the way I would begin that process. Wow, man. Eddie, thank you so much, man, for that. Um, I I just, I can feel it in my spirit that that's offered a lot of healing to a lot of men. I can tell you what jumped out most to me, what you said. Well, there's a lot of it, but the one thing that really jumped, and I never looked at it that way. Not only does God want to forgive it, 
He wants to remove it. I never looked at it that way that he said he's throwing it to the sea of forgiveness because he doesn't want to. He's not going to remember it, but he wants to remove it from you. And we just got to offer it up to him. He wants to heal it and he wants to remove it. But man, that is great stuff. And I'm glad that was the last question. Even though I couldn't get to my other question, I'm glad I asked you that one because I, I'm I'm loving it that somebody, somebody out there who's going to listen to that, I don't know when he's going to listen to it and what he's going to be going through, but I know I can feel it in my spirit right now that that's going to give him some comfort and some healing. So thank you for sharing that, man. Now it's time, it's time, Eddie, for our infamous, uh, infamous man up questions. And basically, these are just five questions, Eddie, that we ask men on the show, um, our guests to respond to, starting with the letters M A N U P. And um, we just asked for um, your fearless honesty. Um, and I don't think you have a problem with that. So the question, <laughs> Eddie, is are you ready, man? I'm ready. All right. And we'll come right back to our show after this brief break to talk to my guest, Eddie Caparucci. Um, he's going to take on the Man Up questions. If you're like most men in our audience, you're committed to becoming the man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be. But the truth of the matter is, you struggle with either finding the time or knowing where to start. That's exactly why I created the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint to give you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to spiritually leading your family, even if you're a new believer. Now, you can't buy the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, but you can get it for free by signing up for our free e-newsletter. By signing up, you will be notified anytime fresh content is added to my site, so you don't always have to visit my blog to stay up-to-date on the latest information. Now, to get your free copy of the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, just visit realmenconnect.com and simply enter your name and email address on the form on the page. So if you're tired of trying to figure it all out and fit it all in as the spiritual leader, provider, and protector of your family, don't miss your chance to discover how to be the man God called and created you to be. Sign up today at realmenconnect.com. Welcome back, Mighty Warriors. I'm with my guest, Eddie Caparucci, um, who's the author um, of a book that's talking about us dealing with our shame and removing that shame label that we put on ourselves. And I say um, that we put on ourselves because a lot of times the enemy may try to accuse us and we let other people talk to us, but it's us who asphyxiate that label of shame on ourselves. And he's been addressing that. But Eddie has decided that he's going to take on the man of questions for us. And I can't wait to ask him. And Eddie, I told you it's starting with the letters M-A-N-U-P. And the first letter is the M and it stands for mistake. Eddie, as a man personally for you, and you've been through a lot and now you're counseling men who are going through a lot what was the biggest mistake you made as a man that you learned the most from um the biggest mistake i made was not seeking out help when i was going through the period of my life where i was engaging in activities that wound up hurting many other women it was my own selfishness and not understanding what was leading to that You know, when we don't allow ourselves to obtain insight, when we don't allow ourselves to really circumcise our heart and look within it to see what is the darkness, we are doing an injustice, not to to us, but to the people around us and to God. So for me, that that was the biggest mistake I've made. You know, Eddie, I, I was telling you that I spoke at a men's retreat this past weekend and they put us um, up in this beautiful room, this room overlooking this this lake. And early in the morning, that lake looked like glass. I mean, there's no wind. I mean, it just looks you, it reflects the sky. That's how clean and clear it looked. And I noticed something as I was looking at that that lake. I said, no matter how small a pebble I get. If I throw that pebble into that lake, it's going to cause ripples. And a lot of times we as men, like what I what you just said, is that we we don't get the help that we need. And we think, well, this is my problem alone. It doesn't impact anybody else. It's just me. And it's like throwing that that pebble into that lake and thinking that it's not going to start a ripple. 
it impacts other people. And no matter how big that lake is, those ripples go beyond that one spot. And so um, I, I can relate to that, that I never thought when I was struggling that, it, you know, I didn't need to get help. I didn't do that self-reflection. But which kind of transition to the next letter I wanted to ask you, since you work with so many men, is the A that stands for attitude. If you could change one attitude in the men that you see and that you counsel, because you want to help them so much, what would it be? What attitude would you change in men? It, it, it really uh, ties in well with what we, were, we just talked about. Um, and that is their self-centeredness. You know, men, um, they have a habit of head down, running through life. And when you have your head down, you're running through life. You can't observe what are the needs, desires and wants of others. And what we really need to be able to do is take a step back and lift our head up and observe, be curious What's going on around me? What's going on with the people around me? You know, really putting in the time I need to be able to understand what I can do. What can I give as opposed to take? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, um, I was reading a book um, by Larry Crabb called The 66 Love Letters. And it's him having this conversation with God. And God spoke to him and told him that um, man's um, primary problem isn't even the devil. He says, it's our selfishness, our self-centeredness. Exactly what you just said. He said, because the devil was defeated you know, by Jesus Christ. He says, so the battle that we've uh, struggled with now um, here is our own selfishness and self-centeredness. We're at the center of the universe. We become our own gods. And we don't always do it intentionally, but that's the battle that we're facing every day. Now, um, I was on your website and um, we mentioned your wife and Terry's in practice with you and you guys are doing a lot of great things and you're helping a lot of people. Like, man, 30 to 40 people a week. That's a lot of people, man. <laughs> um, well, that, that's just me. She <laughs> oh, that's just you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I want to ask uh, for you personally, um, the end stands for next. What's the next big thing you would attempt to do for God in ministry if you knew you couldn't fail, Eddie? The next big thing I would want to do for God is to be able to somehow, if I could, expand the message beyond, beyond just the 35, you know, the 30 to 35 people I see a week. Because I look at this, this is an epidemic, and it's just becoming worse and worse. And even like for the men who look at pornography and say, you know what, it's not that big a deal, all men do it. But they don't realize, one, it's jading the way they look at sex, it's demeaning their wives, it is not allowing them to have the legacy they need with their children, it is a, learning to objectify women, it is ruining marriages, it is corrupting the soul, it is helping, getting people to lose their jobs. Pornography is a very dangerous activity and it's one that we really need to be able to start to put in check so for me i would like to see how could i broaden that out to be able to share with more and more men to understand that don't allow your shame to keep you hidden in the dark that is not what we want we want it to come out into the light so that you can heal and therefore have the legacy that god wants you to have you know, and Eddie, you're doing that by you say you want to expand that message. Um, your book, Removing the Shame Label, is doing that. And and you mentioned even off air that you're going to be um, publishing uh, in another book published called Understanding the Mind of a Sex Addict, which um, all this is to educate and to motivate men to say, hey, we need to do something about it. This thing is getting out of control and I don't want to hurt the people who I love the most. And so and I think you're actually doing that now. And whatever I can do to support you in that, I would um, definitely uh, want to do that because more men need to know. And let me go to the, to you and that's understand. Uh, when you were younger, what was the one thing you didn't understand about being a man, but you understand better now, Eddie? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> there were many on that list. But you know what? I, the biggest is, is humbleness. I, I am I am someone who 
based on the trauma that I went through when I was younger with a lot of abandonment issues who came one step away from being a full-blown narcissist. Um, the fact that I, I achieved so much financial success and career success, um, you know, I was all about me. It was all about me. And if you didn't bring something to the table that helped me, then I didn't want you at my table. And I just, you know, for me, pride was the driving force of what led to success, what led to being a man that people look up to and respect it. And now I realize that, you know what, it's actually just the opposite. You know, is is having the humble heart. It's having being able. I love the line that Paul says. He says, and I and I so much want this, although I still struggle. I want to be the less of the least of God's people. I mean, I really do. I want to be that, <laughs> but I still at times struggle to get there. And I got to keep stepping back and reminding myself over and over and over again. No, it is not about you. Put your ego aside and again, continue to serve, continue to give. As I said before, do not be a taker, be a giver. Yeah. Wow. That that resonates with me. Uh, as soon as you're saying that, I'm, I'm saying again, ouch, <laughs> you know, when, because I, I realized that that could have been that. That's me. You know, I, I look at um, I remember asking God after I had hit rock bottom and I realized that he was a rock at the bottom. And when I finally he by his grace and his mercy, he sent a man to um, disciple me and to mentor me. And I asked the man, you know, why didn't God send you earlier? Why didn't he send you earlier to me? And I said, because you could it could have saved me my marriage. It could have saved me my family. It could have saved me so much in finances and all this other stuff. And he didn't give me an answer. But don't you know the Holy Spirit gave me an answer? He says, Joe, the reason why I didn't send him earlier because you wouldn't have received him. Because I was too arrogant. He said, would you have received him? And you were right. You had to bring something to the table with me, man. If you weren't making more money, had more status and prestige and had a bigger reputation and I didn't think you could do anything for me. I wouldn't listen to you. So it was pride and it was a lack of humility. And so as soon as you said, I'm thinking, ouch. <laughs> but let me close it out with this. And, and I already think I may even know what you might even say. But I always ask men the last letter, which is P, which is problem. And as a mighty man of God, Eddie, which you are, man, what one problem do you still struggle with in life even today? Oh, and that is, that is pride. There's no doubt about it. It is still pride. It is. This is, you know, when the idea of surrender that I do not believe surrender is one and done that, you know, and I thought I surrendered to him, you know, like, you know, 13 years ago when I said, fine, this is where you want me to be. You want me to be a counselor. That's great. I'm just going to ask you one thing, just one thing I'm going to ask. And that is don't make me a good counselor. Make me a great counselor. And the reason I want to be a great counselor is not because of me. I want to be a great counselor because I want to make sure when I sit in front of people, I bring value that you are working through me, that you're here. And that's what it is. It's like I told you before. I get to watch God at work every, every day. day, every day. Yeah. But it is still that. Sense of pride where every once in a while, you know, I'll go home. I never forget. It was a little while ago, a couple of years ago. I said to Terry, she goes, how was your day? I go, oh, man, I was on my A game. And she was like, you were? <laughs> <laughs> thank God for wise, man, goes, I tell you. Goes, thank you. Thank you, honey. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Eddie, thank you so much, man. Man, we've come to the end of our show today, and I didn't get to all the questions I wanted to ask Eddie, and, and I hate putting Eddie on the spot, but Eddie, man, I would love to bring you back on the show to talk more even about this topic and even maybe about your upcoming book about understanding the mind of a sex addict. Man, thank you so much for being a guest on our show and um, being so gracious with your time. Thank you, man. I would love to come back. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So, and you 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 do a great job. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I and I obviously enjoy doing this because I learned so much and and it, I think in a sense this show keeps me humble <laughs> no matter how much I struggle with pride <laughs> because the more I talk to these guests I'm thinking, "Wow, that's me." Man, that's me. But um, but quickly for us, Eddie, if they wanted, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and your ministry and what you and, and Terry are doing, because you guys are doing such great work, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? 
Well, we have a website that's called Abundant Life Counseling GA. You got to make sure you put the GA in there. Georgia yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So AbundantLifeCounselingGA.com. You could also email me at edcappa, E-D-C-A-P-P-A, at gmail.com. And if you wanted the book, Removing Your Shame Label, um, it's available on Amazon or on at Barnes & Noble. All righty. And we'll make sure we put that on the web um, on our um, on the show notes for underneath your episode as well. And that website, again, is Abundant Life Counseling GA for Georgia dot com. Yeah, they got to put that GA on there, but they'll have that so you guys can reach out to them. Guys, and thank you so much for listening and for tuning in and tuning especially to this episode. And I hope that it blessed you. And if you guys can do us a, a huge favor, um, please do so. And that this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program for us, especially if this episode has touched your heart and blessed you in any way whatsoever, because I'm sure Eddie would like to hear it as well. It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. Guys, you made us number one in the Christian men's category for a reason because this message is resonating with you and we know that if it wasn't for your faithful listening we couldn't do this so please don't keep us a secret share us with your friends until next time i'm joe martin your man builder with realmenconnect.com reminding you that we are males by birth but we are men by choice so each and every day choose to be the man god called and created you to be because a male is a terrible terrible thing to waste so until next time stay strong stay blessed and as you know as always stay in god's grip and i'll talk to you soon thank you for listening to the real men connect podcast with dr joe martin real men connect isn't just a podcast it's a mission ministry and movement to help good men become the great men god called and created us to be and the best is yet to come So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.